Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere, and that's especially true today here. Contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com. Go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. Com. I'm Charlie Wright. Today is August 14, 2015. We have, we can promise you, a very different and interesting interview here today. We have James Song with us of Faircap Partners. James is talking to us from Bangkok, Thailand. James, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you for having me, Charlie. So, James, you have offices in uh, New York, in uh, Rangoon, in Singapore, and and in Austin, Texas. I guess that fits here. And uh, you're talking to us in Bangkok, Thailand, and you specialize in Myanmar investing in Myanmar, the country we typically used to know as Burma. So give us an introduction to who James Song is, who Faircap Partners is, and what you guys are doing in investing in Myanmar. Uh, well, it all started uh, a few years ago. I was, uh, I was very involved with an orphanage in Myanmar, and uh, when the country opened up, I got a call and I was running a biotech hedge fund in New York at the time. And uh, I was asked if I wanted to buy into the KFC master franchise license for the country of Myanmar. And I was told I had a week uh, to consider the offer. And if I couldn't close on in a week, uh, then it would go to someone else. And I knew that KFC Kentucky Fried Chicken was a, uh, was a valuable property in Asia. It's just very popular everywhere here in Asia. And uh, I just... Couldn't I just didn't have enough cash. I couldn't sell assets in time to get it done in five days. And uh, it ended up getting sold. In a, and uh, that is what compelled me at the time because I realized it, it had opened up and things were moving very quickly to go visit uh, these kids at the orphanage that I'd been supporting for years but never visited. So I went and, and uh, I got to meet a lot of them. And uh, one of the things I had learned during my first trip to, to Yangon uh, which used to be called Rangoon, uh, was that six of them had left the orphanage to take on jobs in Dubai. And I was kind of puzzled by that because Yangon was growing so quickly and so much money was being made there at the moment. I mean, this, uh, this, these rights to the KFC franchise, were they were offered me for a couple of million dollars. So you have to understand that someone in Myanmar had a few million dollars to spend on this uh, that uh, they moved to Dubai and they couldn't. It, and the reason why they moved to Dubai, even though we had trained them in bookkeeping and accounting and engineering to become 
janitors there is because it paid so much better than any opportunity they could find in Myanmar at the time. And I, I felt that was very wrong. I felt that if a country is going to boom, they should be afforded the same opportunities that the foreigners who come in who take advantage of these opportunities get. So that is what started the thought process to me, uh, starting investing in Myanmar and bringing foreign investors into Myanmar and helping build industry there. Okay, now we've got to hand it to you. You're the only person I have ever met in my life who even talked about Myanmar, much less recommended investing there. So why are you recommending investment? And you're completely focused on Myanmar investments, correct? Yes, 100% focused. 100% of the time. So um, why are you so focused on Myanmar, and what kind of opportunities do you see there? Uh, the reason why I'm focused on Myanmar, it is because it, it is it is the greatest investment opportunity in the universe at the moment. And I am prepared to defend that with anyone at any place at any time. Uh, and why the reason why I'm so involved in Myanmar is because it's, it's the last um, frontier for capitalism outside of North Korea. And uh, North Korea, the South Koreans have that all buttoned up. So the moment... Uh, that regime falls, the South Koreans will be there building factories like the same day. So uh, the only other option left, if you want to forge a new territory, is Myanmar. That's it. So why should an investor want to forge new territory? For one thing, uh, the U.S. government ensures all U.S. investment in Myanmar. So if you as a private American citizen invest in Myanmar, you get insurance against loss for your investments there. Uh, The other thing is, Myanmar right now is about 80% agriculture, you know, coming from a high of like 90% agriculture. Really no manufacturing sector to to speak of, a developing country. If the whole regime were to fall, if everything was to fail, they'd still be farmers. You know, you're really not talking about much of a downside here. And you're talking about explosive growth, 8.5% projected uh, GDP growth for the next uh, several years, the next seven or eight years at least from uh, Asian Development Bank and uh, reiterated by McKinsey, actually. 8.5%, that's very significant. And uh, they talk about China, which is now a little less than that. And uh, can, can we be assured of the integrity of that estimate? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. They have really, as a country, it only has everywhere to go but uh, nowhere to go but up, rather. And uh, it's the development play in any developing country is really just to sit at home, you know, in the comfort of your home and look around you. You know, the things you see around you, you see uh, light fixtures, you see television sets, you see microphones, you see tables. Well, they don't have that in the developing world. And the things they have are are of poor quality. And the thing about America is we, more than anything, export our culture all over the world. So these people watch our movies and they aspire to be like us. So, yeah, they want to drive, you know, they want to drive Mercedes-Benz cars. You know, they want to watch, they want to watch movies on flat screen TVs. You know, they want this big lavish bed. You know, they want to go in the kitchen and cut avocados open with their nice knives, you know. And all these things need to be brought over there. And everything that happens there, the way their economy will develop, 
is actually very predictable. It's happened many times in the past. You know, it's happened in China, it's happened in South Korea, it's happened in Singapore, it's happened in Taiwan, and it'll just happen again. So it's almost like that scene in Back to the Future 2, where Biff goes back to the past uh, with his almanac and knows everything that's going to happen in the future and is able to bet money appropriately and just never lose. Well, now, James, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, you were involved with hedge fund uh, in the biotech industry, and uh, you had said to us uh, offline that your background was a scientific research out of Harvard University and out of uh, university in, in London, but you're obviously not doing biotech research uh, investing in uh, Myanmar. So are, are you investing in mm-hmm. particular sectors there or in the whole economy? How, how are you focused on the investing? Uh, it's a dynamic environment, so I believe the right way to go about things is to see how the economy is moving and invest appropriately. So I am actually sector agnostic there. Right now, what's happening in the Myanmar economy is that there is no banking sector to speak of. There are a couple of uh, foreign banks moving in, setting up shop, but they're not really very active there. So you can say, you know, in general, there's no banking sector to speak of. So you have these big foreign companies coming in and investing in Myanmar. And a lot of times, because it's an inefficient place and there's not a a lot of data, they will miscalculate how fast they grow. So you'll see, for instance, one of the things where I'm invested in is a uh, riverboat cruise company. And uh, they came in from Vietnam and they're very proven. uh, they, They have proven management, you know, proven model. Uh, all done in Vietnam, and they wanted to replicate it in Myanmar. So they started out with two riverboats. You know, these are luxury riverboats that you sleep on, you know, and it'll take you up the river for two or three days, you know. And uh, and they immediately, once they started operations, they were overbooked, and they realized they needed six more boats. And they didn't have the $10 million in cash needed to to bring in these uh, these six more boats. So they come looking for a guy like me, uh, who is able to invest in a property like that. And because they are asking me and because I know that there's no other one, there are really no other players there, uh, I'm able to get their assets at a huge discount. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a value guy. So and that's what I look for. Okay, so so you're you're looking to invest in in whatever. The, the, this is fascinating stuff, James. I'm sure mm-hmm. when you get involved in conversations with uh, other hedge funds, potential investors of whatever types, you probably start with people. Uh, you know, their their jaws kind of dropping and uh, listening to you. What kind of reactions and what kind of concerns do you find that people have about the kind of investments that you're recommending for Myanmar? Uh, most people talk to me about uh, it's sounding very risky and then they can't invest because it's so risky. But then, you know, it's uh, like I said, the U.S. government backs your investment and it's not a it's not a 100 percent guarantee. It's actually a 270 percent guarantee. And that when people hear it is too hard for them to believe. And so I always ask them, do their due diligence, you know, like you could search Look for it online. You could Google OPIC, O-P-I-C. That is the uh, that is the agency of the U.S. government that writes that insurance against political risk. So uh, if, if you think about a standard economic model, uh, high risk equals high reward. And the higher risk that comes from investing in a frontier or emerging market comes from the sovereign risk you take on. 
you know, so so uh, you take on more sovereign risk. Hence, there's greater returns from that. And the U.S. government, because they issue this insurance for U.S. investors, removes that sovereign risk entirely. So that's almost like it's pretty much close to being the only other free lunch in modern economics outside of diversification. You know, I am completely unaware of, uh, of that kind of insurance opportunity from the U.S. government. What, what uh-huh. It's OPIC. How can people research that here? James? OPIC. OPIC. Uh, you can Google it. OPIC. OPIC, political okay. risk insurance. It'll come up. It'll be the first thing that comes up in Google. Well, what does OPIC stand for? Overseas Private Investment Corporation, I believe. Okay. Okay. Well, that is fascinating. And, 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 you know, does your investment have to be approved by the U.S. government? And do they reject some of these and that kind of thing? I believe if you have the right partner and that partner has been approved for the OPIC insurance and you just partner with them, you're covered by their insurance. I see. And, and is Faircap Partners your firm? Are you guys covered there? Yes. I see. Yep. We, we were the first. Yes. Okay. We were the first in the country. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, well, James, again, th- this is fascinating. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. We're, we're talking with James Song of Faircap Partners, speaking to us from Bangkok, Thailand, about investing in Myanmar, uh, what most people know, many people know as Burma. Uh, this is Charlie Wright, and you're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. We'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. All right, let's get back to Charlie in this fascinating discussion. Uh, yes, well, thank you, Paul. We're talking with James Song of Faircap Partners. He's talking to us from Bangkok, Thailand, about investing in Myanmar, which uh, many people know as Burma. So, James, you're focused 100% on investing in Myanmar, and how long has that been the case for you? Uh, since 2012, uh, the market opened up to American investment in 2011. I see. Okay. So tell us here, James, uh, how does someone invest in Myanmar through you? You don't have a mutual fund. There's no ETF. Uh, do you have a hedge fund? And that hedge fund is investing in uh, like this uh, a river cruise company you talked about. How does an investor invest there? Uh, we we do raise uh, money for certain projects, and we do uh, like uh, talk about specific needs that an investor would have, you know, uh, for investing in Myanmar. But uh, generally, our partners in Myanmar are looking for uh, long term investors, long term partners. Really, all the money in the world to be invested in Myanmar can come from China. Myanmar is right next to China, and if you look at a map. Myanmar blocks the entire western half of China from the ocean. 
So China would like nothing more than to buy the entire country. So it's not really a matter of money or not really a matter of investing for the Burmese. What it is, is it's about finding a partner, a friend, you know, someone who will stick it through and see the country develop. And that's what they really want. So uh, I would suggest anyone looking to invest, think about that. Think about Myanmar as a long-term investment, not like a quick hit. And then you'll definitely find partners who will want to help you get in. Okay, so uh, give us some contact information for our listeners here, James. Uh, I'm at FairCap Partners. uh, That's at faircappartners.com. Now, FairCap is uh, like a a combination of fair and capital, which is what I always thought uh, investing should be about. It should just be the investment should be so good. No one has to be lied to. No one has to be cheated. It could just be fair to everyone. And uh, hopefully that helps you remember the name. But faircappartners.com, you can find a bunch of uh, research information that we put and contact information. And I'm happy to give any kind of uh, information that's needed about anything, including the OPIC insurance. Okay, yes. Uh, thank you very much. Now, let's get back. I still don't have my arms around how somebody invests through you. So do you have a hedge fund, and they contribute to that hedge fund, and they own a portion of the hedge fund, and whatever that hedge fund returns, they I, get their I, portion? I, or I run a private equity fund, but uh, uh, I... It's uh, sometimes legal doesn't allow me to say it, but uh, I see. I, I okay, mm-hmm. so you've got a fund. You've got a fund, yes. and somebody invests in that particular fund, uh, and it has various yes. projects. Yes. Okay. And okay. these projects do uh, look for weaknesses in the economy and seek to exploit those weaknesses. Yes. Right. Right. Okay. And uh, if we can ask, uh, you, you, do you have high minimums or low minimums, or how's that working right now? Uh, Fifty thousand. So it's a, it's a low minimum. Yeah, so uh, and, very low again, minimum here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And again, those investments are insured by the government, so. Okay. So what you have done, James, if, if I can kind of try to summarize it, is you have sought the world's biggest inefficient market. That's yes. what you have done. And yes. you, you have landed in Myanmar for a variety of reasons. You had connections there. Okay, and uh, you have looked around and you have said, this is an inefficient market. And, uh, you know, somebody can invest in Microsoft, but you're not going to find inefficiencies to a very large degree very often with Microsoft. But we can go to Myanmar, and there are large inefficiencies there, and that's because... Uh, to a large degree because of the sovereign risk that exists there. Yes, exactly. Okay. And because, yeah, it's a new country, they don't really know anything, so you can, it's it's like playing basketball with a five-year-old, and, and they all they think about is winning, but, you know, you don't really have to work too hard to win the game. Yeah. Yeah, so so they're not their, their background is is not business. Are they a monarchy? I mean, I have to claim uh, ignorance here. Um, are, are are they a socialist government? Uh, they're just an agrarian society, I guess. Uh, it, it it was for nearly fifty years a military dictatorship, and they closed themselves off from the entire world, and they kind of committed to turning into a democracy and it's a slow transition they have a plan for it it'll take 15 years so if it's not 
the kind of democracy that you see, you know, around you every day in the European Union or the U.S., it's because it's they have planned it for the next 15 years, for it to take 15 years. Uh, but it's slow reforms. And uh, a lot of military guys who were in par- power before are still in power just because they are the only people in the entire country with experience running the country. So they still uh, stay in power and they still run things around, even though they're trying to slowly transition over. And so uh, is capitalism a a very new thing for their country here? It is a very new thing. The high growth is a very new thing. China has been investing uh, in Myanmar for forever, really. 90% of the world's jade comes from Myanmar, and jade is a very popular uh, precious stone in China. And uh, 90% of the world's rubies come from Myanmar. And uh, one of the largest geological dark areas for oil and natural gas is in Myanmar. And what I mean by dark area is uh, a place that hasn't been geologically surveyed for natural gas or oil. Okay, well, you're just opening my mind tremendously here, uh, James, and I'm sure that most everybody you talk to says the same thing, because Myanmar is such an unknown country here. Um, And and my my initial reaction, like everybody else, is, of course, uh, the sovereign risk. Uh, You'd be crazy to go into a country like that. But with OPEC, uh, if it is as as you claim it is, uh, takes out, uh, (laughs) takes the risk away here. How long is that uh, guarantee uh, in place with OPEC? Does it have a, a sunset provision here? No. Uh, again, uh, you have to think about why the U.S. government would write an insurance like that. And if you think about it, uh, China's trying to buy the country. And you see how aggressive they're being in the South China Sea. And the every other nation but China wants to push back a bit against Chinese ambition, military ambition. And one of the way to do that is, is through like this kind of uh, economic pushback in Myanmar. So that's what's happening. That's why they want to, the U.S. government actively wants to bolster U.S. investment in Myanmar. And then that's why they would make it such a good deal for U.S. investors, you know, by practically guaranteeing your investment against loss. Okay. Okay. And again, again, let's go back for for just a minute to your background and experience here in the world of investments. Uh, give, Give us a little more information, will you? Sure. Uh, Prior to the I, Myanmar uh, ventures. Oh, okay. Uh, very quickly, I graduated from Harvard University in 2005, and then I won a Fulbright to do HIV research in Uganda. And uh, that uh, went very slowly because Uganda is a very bureaucratic place. And sometime during my Fulbright year, I met someone who ran a plastic factory there. And he said, uh, you know, you could go back to the U.S. and, you know, keep doing your psychology thing, which is what I was doing research in at the time. Or you could stay here and do something, some kind of business. And I thought about what kind of business to do. And because he ran a plastic factory, you know, we had thought plastic recycling would be a great thing because it wasn't really being done in Uganda. And uh, and then I thought I could go back to the U.S. and, you know, like work for my, my advisor at Harvard and publish like some very uh, very standard pa- research paper in psychology, and then it would be buried in a journal somewhere. Or I could stay in Uganda, build a factory, start recycling plastic, clean up the countries, create 500 jobs off the bat, and 
I could do something really meaningful. So I stayed, and I did that. And then uh, three years later, I built the recycling industry in Uganda, just because of virtue of me being the only one. And that really whet my appetite towards understanding these emerging markets where there are no other players but you, and you get to write your own check, and you get to you get to copy a proven playbook and take something, take an old idea like a recycling route and bring it to a place and they think it's like the best thing ever, like sliced bread. And like sliced bread is a brand new thing to them. And uh, I thought that was really, really wonderful. And then uh, in 08, I had the chance to uh, do a master's in neuroscience and my advisor pushed me to go do that because it was the best program in the world at the time. So I applied. I got into a program at University College London for neuroscience. And uh, every two weeks, I would I would commute back and forth, uh, go to my factory in Kampala, and then go back to London to do my coursework and then do my research. And then at the end of it, in 2010, I uh, I kind of felt it was too political uh, in the neuroscience space. Meaning, I always thought science was very straightforward. That you do your work, and you know if your work is right, you get published, and people like you. But really, if your advisor doesn't like your work, it never goes forward. It doesn't matter how truthful it is. So I thought I wanted to do something more um, more meritocratic, and so I thought investing would be it. And because I had the background in neuroscience, I could invest in biotech companies. And uh, so I started researching different biotech companies, and because I had neuroscience research as, as a experience under my belt, I knew how labs were run, and then I could look at how, uh, based on their pilot research and how it was produced, I could tell what they were doing in their lab and how likely a drug would move into phase one and then a phase one drug would move into phase two. Uh, and then I started investing in on small companies doing novel oncology research uh, in the United States. And I did very well that first year from 2010 to 2011. Uh, and I, my returns were something like 87%. And then I got this call for uh, KFC, and I, and I went over at the end of 2011, and I realized everything in Myanmar was exactly what I was looking for in the United States in terms of inefficiency. Because I believe, uh, if, you, if you really think about it, alpha, pure alpha, looks exactly like insider trading. Uh, there's really no difference if you look at it from the outside. And if you insider trading is illegal in America and it's illegal in most of the world, but it is not illegal in Myanmar. In fact, in the Myanmar context, insider trading is how everyone invests in Myanmar. Everyone only invests because they know what the government is going to do. It's everything is very predictable. No one loses money purposefully in Myanmar. Uh, so, and that just seemed like. That was it, you know, of everything I had studied about investing because I had come from a science background that had nothing to do with investing. So I had to start and find out what were the best things about investing, who were the best investors, like Warren Buffett, and I had to study what made them really good. And it was these very, very basic concepts. You look for inefficiency. You look for the best ways to exploit that uh, that inefficiency. And while you can exploit it, while there is a loophole to be exploited – you drive a gigantic truck through that loophole. 
So I was the first. I, no, I wouldn't say I was the first. I was one of the first Americans in uh, Myanmar, but I was definitely the first collecting economic data there. And a lot of my investments are made because I am the only person that in that country holding that economic data. So I am able to take a view that no one else has. And that is the kind of opportunity that I thought should be indicative of a really, really great investment. And those are the only kinds of investments I really want to make. James, that was absolutely fascinating. It was. That was great. Thank you so much for sharing your background and your views there. And we we really, really appreciate it. James, a question we always like to ask is, in regards to what you're doing, what keeps you awake at night? I... Of course, I'm involved in the orphanage. You know, I, I always think about whether we're doing the right thing over there. In a way, I'm also I'm also glad I didn't invest in KFC. You know, I don't want to be two generations down. I don't want to be the guy that brought KFC into Myanmar. You know, when they're talking about uh, some kind of obesity ec- epidemic. So doing the right thing, just because it is a new country, and they if you study Myanmar history, you you realize they've been taken advantage of by many people in the past. I don't want any part of that. So I always think about doing the right right thing for them, you know, doing right by them just because they've given me so much and they've offered me so much opportunity. I don't want to screw them over in return. You know, so so that does that that careful thought process really does keep me up at night. Well, we can see why you left the hedge fund world here, James. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that attitude wouldn't have lasted long there. All right. Uh, right. <laughs> so tell us, uh, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Geometry Made Easy. Geometry I mean, Made Easy. level geometry workbook. <laughs> I'm sorry? Go ahead. Uh, go oh, ahead. Oh, the reason why I, the reason why I re- recommend it is it because it teaches logic and it teaches you how to be logical. Uh, in that uh, if A equals B and B equals C, then A must equal C, right? Uh, and a lot of these things just uh, seem to be just outside of the reach to most people in, uh, I guess, the financial space in the United States. Uh, for instance, uh, I don't know if you remember when when Facebook uh, did their IPO and it tanked, you know, it started going down and no one believed in Facebook at all. You know, all you needed to do was read their 10K and look at the risk factors. And the number one thing that they talked about in all of their risk factors was that, oh, if, you know, everyone's moving from their desktop computer to their mobile phone and we need to move into doing things on the mobile phone. Otherwise, you know, it's like we risk like like destroying our business. And one of the announcements they made shortly thereafter was that they're developing all these things for the mobile phone. And so you knew. At that point, you know, they were overcoming their major risk factor. And because of that, you know, if, if they did it right, they would start making enough revenue where, like, the stock price would start moving up. So you could have seen it back then. And then you would have to have the guts to stick it through because it was, it was the stock price was depressed for a very long time. Right. You know, and then uh, so if you have that long view to see a technology company develop into that mobile space from the desktop space and give it a couple of years, yeah, you would have been rewarded very handsomely. And that kind of logic, just that pure logic, uh, I think it escapes a lot of people. Uh, you know, that, that's excellent. Who's the author of that book, uh, James? I missed that. Uh, it's it's just a workbook by, by Barron's, and it's cheap. It's something like $12. 
Okay, the title again? Geometry Made Easy. Geometry Made Easy. You know, we've never yeah. had that book recommended really... before and never had anyone like it. So thank you very much. Uh, right. You know, that reminds me, James, uh, I was reading uh, um, Abraham Lincoln's uh, a book about Abraham Lincoln. And it said that while he was doing his, uh, while he was on the circuit as an attorney, he would sit down and for like two days at a time work through geometry problems. Because he found that it was an exercise that was very, very helpful to him uh, in, in keeping his brain going and recognizing logic and the like. So uh, you're in good company there in working with uh, geometry here. So, James, uh, we, we need to finish this. This has been absolutely fascinating and interesting from a variety of perspectives here. So give us your final words to our listeners here. Uh, ultimately, investing should be about uh, long-term wealth appreciation just because, you know, these crashes, these tail risks happen. And uh, the only thing that seems to overcome them, it is sticking with uh, good investments through the long haul and just building this, uh, this really healthy wealth appreciation. And the reason why you want to do that is because... Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you could talk about compounding 10%, but if you're starting at like 100,000, like most people are, or, you know, even less than most people are, in real dollar terms, it doesn't really move the needle for your life. So if you could look at the same types of investments, uh, meaning the same types of uh, risk reward characteristics, and the rewards are actually heightened by some uh, special situation factor, I say those are things you need to consider seriously because those are the types of investments like uh, Warren Buffett's investment in Amex after that whole salad oil thing. You know, those are the investments that really take you up to another level where you could start thinking about an entirely different type of life to lead. So, and I think that's one of those things that people don't talk about. They just talk about very specific numbers, you know, meeting 5% a year or meeting 10% a year. And I don't think... Uh, it's a it's a comprehensive enough view to truly understand investing in general. James, uh, powerful words of wisdom. You make a compelling case. James, thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts and your views. It's probably uh, three in the morning here uh, at uh, in Bangkok, so thanks for staying up so yes. late for us. We really appreciate talking to you. We've been talking with James Song of Faircap Partners uh, out of Bangkok about investing in Myanmar and uh, otherwise known as Burma. And you've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing about elsewhere. And that was especially true for this interview today. Please don't hesitate to contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com. Go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, and we wish you an enjoyable week and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science.
Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. 